0: Ask me the question, that'll give me time to think as the mic comes to you.
1: Between a uh, Great distinction between the moral ailments that people have that they need the gospel for and then physical ailments. But then there seemed to be a, a synonymous kind of activity of physical ailments and demonic activity in the way you presented it. Would that then lead people in our congregation to think, I've got a bad leg, so therefore I have a demon? How would you clarify that I know that's not the case, but that almost sounded like that's where it was going.
0: Why do you think it's not the case?
1: Well, um, (laughs) because I don't see it in scripture that that every time someone's got something physical wrong with them, there's a demon, but there is that element to it that that you talked about when they went out to heal, they came back and they said they were casting out demons. Just how do you deal with that, with someone who might come to you and talk about that and say, I think I've got a demon because I've got cancer or I've got, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Two things to lay, the first thing to say is just to keep reminding us, there's not enough in the Bible to develop a full orbed theology of the demonic and how it all works and how we can experience it today. There's just not enough in the scriptures to give us all of that. It is very much on the edge and the periphery of what the New Testament delivers for us. So we've got to take some caution about speaking with great confidence. It is or isn't and so on and so forth. Um, but what you do have that's quite clear in the New Testament is, are the points I'm wanting to make, which is that the, the, the demon possession is not the enemy of the spiritual problem. That, that, that is to say, um, as, I'm trying to, as I'm trying to win people to Christ... Uh, I don't need to find demonic strongholds and pray them down for people to be released because that's not what you see in Jesus' ministry. When he engages directly with the demonic, it's always concerning a physical ailment. Um, Now, it doesn't mean that the demonic is not involved in the spiritual realm. Ephesians chapter 2, we're all captive to Satan. But we're not captive to Satan in the sense that he possesses us we're captive to Satan in that we're caught up in his web of lies, which is where the gospel's powerful to take thoughts captive uh, and bring us freedom and release. Now, given all of that kind of major framework of thinking, what do you do with a person who's sick, has a physical ailment? Well, when you come into the new, when you come past the, I would dare suggest, and I, I think this is quite clearly defensible, when you come past the apostolic age, the way we operate with even demon possession has shifted. There's lots of things that shift. You get that, don't you, from the apostles to us. Um, You know, how does Jesus encourage paying taxes? Do you remember? Um, He's accused of, uh, you know, you don't pay taxes and so on. So he says to one of his, go and catch a fish. You'll find a, what is it, two drachma coin and another two, and you'll pay my temple tax and your temple tax. Now, Jesus did it. There's no verse that says we shouldn't. So should I now teach people that the way they pay their taxes is by going fishing to find their tax bill in the mouth of a fish? I mean, it's laughable, isn't it? But, but you think about it. Um, the Bible gives, that Jesus did it. Nowhere says not to. So isn't it still something I should keep doing? Demonic's the same. As Jesus engages with the mute, the physical ailment, he casts out the demon Nowhere says that you shouldn't do that, so why shouldn't I do it? Well, because in exactly the same way as many of the aspects of Jesus' ministry uh, were done in a particular way, we don't assume they all operate the same for us because once you come into the New Testament epistles, into letters, you get a very different shaping and priority of the ministry. It doesn't say not to do those things, but what it directs you to is a very different style and priority which makes normal Christian ministry about preaching the word, uh, seeking to engage with the spirit realm, with the powerful tools and weapons of, not through deliverance and exorcism. So I, one of the classic passages is 1 Timothy chapter 4, where you've got um, hypocritical lies and taught by demons, a whole kind of Paul unpacks the reality of the de- demonic and its impact on the last days. But as you go through 1 Timothy 4, there's not one mention of engaging in an exorcism or a deliverance style of ministry. It's all about commit yourself to the public reading of Scripture. <laughs> Watch your life and doctrine. It's all this normal way of engaging. So I take it, uh, yes, I don't. Well, I, there's no reason to believe the demonic is still not active in the same ways in the New Testament. But how do I engage with it? I preach the Word, pray for people, operate in fellowship together and send them to a doctor you know, there's no, I'm not obliged to do anything more. Yeah, in fact, it pushed the other way.
1: Andrew? Yep.
2: Um, taking some of the stuff you've said here about the deeper work of what Jesus was about was seeing people have the, come into the kingdom uh, how, and and some, some of what you said in that answer then, how would you bring that across to talk about um, Jesus compassion and people talking about um restoration in our community and how we should be loving our community as part of our gospel work um but you you were talking about the deeper things versus things that happen by the by can give some comment
1: to that
0: yeah yeah it's it's 1 corinthians 15 look flip up there i i'm noticing that this is a real problem passage when i don't think it should be um And I think there's something going on (laughs) that we need to to dig into. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58. This is the the great climax of the Apostle having talked about the Gospel, the first part of chapter 15, a concern that his ministry has been in vain and so on. The Gospel uh, by which you are saved, otherwise you believed in vain. So there's the the exposition of the Gospel he then rolls through the issue of resurrection and the reality there is a resurrection. Um, and one of the consequences of that, of course, is that if there is no resurrection, then um, you know, I've, I've fought wild beasts for merely human reasons, all of this kind of metaphor for his ministry. Um, but where he rolls down to finally is death has been swallowed up in victory. Verse 55, where our death is your victory, where our death is your sting. The sting of death is sin. The power of the sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Now, his consequence, therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, that's a fairly obvious passage to me. And you get into chapter 16 where you kind of go, okay, there's a work that we're to give ourselves fully to. Because there's a work, a work, that's not in vain. Now, any ordinary reader will be going, gee, which work is that? Because I want to do that more and more. Well, which work is it? I read a blog just not long ago where the, the application of this passage was to a group of women who were doing tapestry. And he said... After a series of convoluted pieces of logic, he got to the point of saying, so I'm now able to say to the women doing tapestry, it's not in vain. What? (laughs) Surely is Paul saying that the work that's not in vain is doing tapestry in a loving way? Is that what he's saying? Well, it begs a very important question: What what does it mean to do the work of the what is the work of the Lord? Um, It's ergon and then it's koppos, I think it is, the fruit, work and and toil. Well, those words are used in 1 Corinthians 16 of Timothy and Stephanus. Timothy's to be honoured because he's working at the same work as Paul, work of the Lord, and Stephanus, you're to honour men like them because they're serving the church, carrying on the work. So the same words are used there of a group of people who are doing gospel ministry church ministry. You get it nailed in chapter 9 verse 1 where Paul says, are you not the fruit of my work in the Lord? So it seems to me quite abundantly clear that there's a phrase, labor in the Lord, work in the Lord, that simply means gospel ministry in the context of building the church, not doing tapestry, (laughs) no matter how lovingly I do it. So what you have is a particular kind of work. Now that grates with so many today because are you saying that paid ministers are more important than non-paid ministers? No, but I am saying a paid minister ought to give himself more fully to the labour of the Lord and make sure he's not distracted, but so should a non-paid person who's a person of God because we're called by Paul to do it. So you ought to be looking to be a priority to be about building the church. Now once you've got, I mean, I don't think you can, you can't avoid that implication that there's a primacy to the labour of the Lord which is about gospel ministry, church building ministry, whether you're paid or unpaid is not the point and whether you're full-time or not, is, but to give yourself fully to it, there's a primacy which means it's primer, it's, primer, it's prime over healing, Uh, Helping society be a better place. It's Paul doesn't say to give yourself fully to any of those things. He says give yourself fully to this work because it's the work that's not in vain. Well, then you do this other piece of logic that says um, my works of love won't be in vain because they'll carry on into eternity. Will they? Where is all of you know? You've got to actually work through all that too, and you end up making Paul's words mean. There's a point we've got to wrestle with, and I think it's quite plain, and I'm a bit surprised that we're struggling with it. Well, I'm not saying you are, but I'm finding it around the place that we're struggling with it, yeah. Does that answer what you've... Jesus turned aside to act in compassion where need pressed upon him. But Mark chapter 1, he walked away from it as well. Mark chapter 1, he goes, the, the, the apostles come to him and say, everyone wanting, they're all at the door, they want to get healed, and he could have healed them, he could have gone around healing. He says, let's go somewhere else. To preach, because that's why I've come. He turns away from human need, but on occasion he turns back to it out of compassion. But he keeps his eyes set on the task which does the deeper work. Now I think there's the picture and model for us in ministry. We're to give ourselves fully and more and more fully to the labor of the Lord. Do that as much as we can within the priority and the context of other responsibilities that we have and the settings that God has placed us in. 1 Corinthians 7, you've called to be a slave don't fret if you can get out of it sure but you've got context you're in if you're called to be a husband a wife you've got priorities there It would have been better if you were single but you're not you're married now and you just have to put up with it but you're distracted and just, but you you know Paul talks about priorities and we've got to pursue priorities can I that? no <laughs> Absolutely. Um, how can't it? Um, um, we, look, I just speak frankly and you guys can fix up the pieces that all get crashed, okay? So that it, it seems to me that there's a naivety that says um, we just encourage people to give themselves to everything and God will provide. I think that's beads and sandals Christianity, It's hippie Christianity. It's it's a kind of an idealism that doesn't face the realities of the context we're in. There are some contexts where the soil is so rich, you can probably afford not to think harder about these things because if you overdo it in one area, it'll get filled by others and so on. But my sense in the Australian context is we are working in such dry soil, we have to think harder about resource allocation. Because if we bend too much of our people resource and financial resource into certain areas, there won't be any backfill happening. <laughs> you know, we've only got a limited number of hours in a day, you know, in a week. I've, you know, I've, I've got, I can only work for so many hours. That's a limited resource. I can't make it go longer. Well, I can, but I'll die. I have, you know, I've only got, you know, let's say, 65 hours a week is typically what you can pull off and sustain. I've got that many hours... Which What hours will I give to which activity? I've got to think that through. Jesus did exactly that. So as a church budget, you know, it's not inexhaustible. It's a limit to it. I can raise it bit by bit, but I've got to keep thinking hard about where I'll... All of those are realities, yeah. I can't see. So... Um,
2: doesn't matter. You can hear. uh. I... A, uh, a, an edgy missiologist from the US named Ed Stetzer wrote a book with Jerry Rankin called Spiritual uh, Warfare in Mission, uh, where he, they basically argue that uh, the, the thing battling against, uh, against the task of God's glory going throughout the world is uh, not so much what's happening on the mission field, but what's actually happening in churches where the gospel's being preached, and that is that Satan is... Uh, helping to keep people so absorbed in what's happening right next door uh, and unaware of what the needs are beyond their local community that nobody ever looks outside of it. Can you comment on how you see perhaps that dimension of spiritual warfare and how that might be addressed?
0: Yeah, look, it's it's beyond doubt that we don't battle against flesh and blood, that Satan is at work in all kinds of ways to... Do you know, it's um, uh, in some times in church history, you know, the path towards honouring God was walking down that aisle, let's say. Satan stood in the middle of the aisle with a sword and said, you walk this way, I'll kill you. It was quite a clear decision. Uh, um, you, you know, honour honor God or, or commit apostasy and honour the emperor, you'd die. It was a clear decision. In our day and age, Satan is still at work, but not in that same stand in the aisle with a sword and say, come this way, I'll kill you. It's rather, he walks, he's lined up beside the aisle going, whispering, you know, just step aside for a moment. Step aside for a moment. So it's a different, he's still at work. He's at work in our churches, doing exactly that. Materialism is one of the very great things he's got as a handle on us to keep, no doubt about it. Now, is the problem that Satan is whispering, just be concerned about the local area? I don't get that distinction. What I don't... um, I've battled with this for for decades, and part of the pain will come from this, in, in that churches keep thinking, I think mistakenly, that giving to the church is selfish giving, giving to missions overseas is unselfish giving. Now, you can only think that if giving to the church is just used to make us comfortable. But if giving to church is being spent every cent of it to mission in this area to reach the lost and disciple, well, giving to here is exactly the same as giving to a church in another country doing the same thing, just in another place. It's not selfish giving at all. It is if we're using it badly. That point's quite true. And perhaps in the American scene, it's more evident that that's happening. So perhaps that colours the way the rhetoric operates. But in our context, we, we bend every cent to reach the lost and we are using it more efficiently and effective than many mission organisations we're sending money to. Do you see? Now God calls us to make disciples of all nations. We are a nation. <laughs> you know, we've got to be committed to making disciples of the nation we're in as well as giving people the bigger vision of the cause of the gospel is for all nations, not just this one. So yes, you've got to do the both then, but don't fear the prioritising of the need right next to you if it's clear that that's what it's all about, do you see? And there's perhaps the... There you go. I, I think we've got to break that nexus in our church plants, to be honest. I think we've got to help people see giving to this church that we're starting here is not selfish giving. It's, it's strategising our resources to fulfil the Great Commission of which this is one place.